the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, yes, indeed, and I hope you're having a great day so far here on this Thursday, 27th of July. And as we um, kind of slip on into another edition of Lifeline, great to have you on board and always a privilege to spend some time with you as we do uh, low every day during the week at this time, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Coming up tonight in the six o'clock hour will be our Church of the Week, and we'll tell you all about that coming up in just a bit. But I want to start with a bit of a, a premise, kind of a universal understanding, the notion that each subsequent generation has it just a tad bit easier than the generation before it. I'm sure you've heard the stories. If you're a parent, you've undoubtedly told the stories. You know how your parents walked to school 10 miles in the snow, one way, uphill. It was uphill both ways. You know? <laughs> that, that was at least the story my dad used to try to convince me of uh, when I would complain about having to walk to school in the morning. And, uh, and no doubt parents often tell those stories. But hopefully, each subsequent generation has it a little bit better. The family grows a bit more wealth. Life becomes a bit comfortable. Great are opportunities. And so life becomes easier. But sadly, that isn't always the case. And while parents may be of the impression that it's very difficult to be a parent these days, we're going to spend some time talking about it from the child's perspective. And when you get some insights as to what they are facing, you know, we as adults oftentimes struggle with the changing world around us, with the chaos in the world around us. But at least as adults, we've developed some school skills, we have some coping mechanisms, we have sounding boards, we have ways in which we can put the turmoil around us in perspective. For children, though, that is not always the case. My first guest, and I must begin by saying I, I beg your indulgence. He's new to radio, so first time public speaking. He's going to be a bit nervous, so just uh, you know, cut him some slack. <laughs> My guest today, a frequent guest and longtime friend going back many, many years. He is a best-selling author. He's been a radio talk show host, a pastor. He is a mentor, a husband, um, and uh, certainly a dad to uh, two wonderful boys. He is a national social skills educator. That means he has spoken to more than two million kids across the country dealing specifically with things like how do you deal with harassment and bullying on campus and how do you become more resilient to deal with all of these challenges please welcome mr brooks gibbs brooks how are you He's so enamored with that introduction. <laughs> he, he hung up. Oh, there you Yo, are. Man. Okay. There was that long pause, and I thought, uh-oh. 
Someone told me to prank you, so I did. Well, I love you, know, you so much, man. I, <laughs> I have a feeling I know who that someone was, and I'll deal with her later. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you're still at it. Uh, now, longest-running Christian talk show in the universe. You're like the Regis Philbin of Christian talk radio. Just, like just about, and what people don't realize is I've, I've been here so long, I'm actually stuck to the seat, and they haven't figured out how to pry me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, so good to see you. Hearing well, you good, to, good to hear your voice, too. And, and, and as backgrounder, Brooks and I go back. He was a guest on this program way back in the days of Spirit West Coast, and uh, we had met him along about the time of the tragic Columbine High School shooting and uh, we have remained in contact down through the years and watched this uh, young man grow into a just an absolutely amazing individual and a great public speaker and a, and a dynamo for the Lord and uh, Brooks, it's, I've just always the, the buttons on my shirt always pop with a great sense of pride in watching <laughs> what you have done uh, down through the years and uh, the wonderful family that you and Jill have raised together. So again uh, welcome brother and great to have you spend some time with us today to talk about about a very important topic, and I guess kind of setting the tone for our conversation today. Undoubtedly, it's true, and I bet you've even told some of these tall tales to your own kids about how rough you had it as a kid. But if parents, if parents could walk a mile in their own kids' shoes and look at what's going on in the world around us today, um, it's a pretty fearful place, and it's getting fearful more so day by day. And yet, sadly, um, children oftentimes are robbed of the innocence of their childhood and deprived of the ability to really develop adult-type coping mechanisms to deal with things that certainly when I was a kid were never thought of. I, I would, the notion of getting on the freeway and possibly being shot at was never even in anybody's imagination and yet here today in the San Francisco Bay Area it, it's happening almost weekly. A, a young child riding with his family to go to a birthday party two years old and they got caught in the crossfire on the 880 freeway and the bullet ricocheted and hit the car where the child was riding in the back seat in a safety seat and suddenly they heard a ring the child cried out they wound up rushing to the hospital only to be told by the doctors we're sorry but your son has died from his injuries now these are things that Brooks when we were kids we never thought of hmm Yes, you know, kids are growing up in a toxic soup, really. And I think uh, the toxicity, uh, really, formula is uh, someone loves to bother and someone else is easily bothered. And and I think when we have provocateurs and we have victims and you put those two together, which seems to be the the style of our culture, uh, boy, you get you get tragic stories like that and i you know if you would post interview the individual who shot the gun i imagine was this road rage is that what was going on road rage yep yeah and you would say you know was it worth getting upset you know and and then of course not of course it wasn't well then why would you be so offended by such a thing well because he had and then you realize in 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 therapy you you realize is that people are walking around with incredible, you have no right to cut me off. You have no right to look at that way. You have no right. And when we 
feel entitled and rigid and demanding. We walk around like a ticking time bomb that someone barely looks at us wrong. Or we look at someone else perhaps wrong. And uh, they could snap. So I think it's really offendability. When I really think about what went wrong, I really do think it's a provocateur uh, culture combined with a victim mindset and kaboom. And, of course, you add to that upsetting combination to just a lot of the day-to-day challenges that kids are facing. I mean, uh, thank God for the greatest degree we've kind of come through to the other side of COVID, although certainly not without a lot of tragedy and certainly kids that were going through school at that time to see how much was taken away from them. I mean, the ability to walk across the stage in your cap and gown and after, you know, 12 hard years of work to receive your diploma and the applause of of the parents and the fellow students gathered and, and have a sense of accomplishment. Many children were deprived of that. The interaction that they had of going to school dance and performing in school plays, all of that during 2020, 2021, even a portion of 2022 was stolen from them. And sadly enough, many of these kids, I think, um, absent the kind of coping skills necessary to be able to figure out how to deal with the stuff that life hands you. Is it any wonder that we have kids that that either have their own behavioral problems or grow up worse yet, grow up Brooks to become adults who snap? You cut me off. There's the pool of anger going on inside of me. My reaction is I'm either going to ram the back of your car or pull out a gun and make you pay for it. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I think it's the uh, smart parents uh, look at hardships and view them as opportunities. And they train the children how the worst thing that ever will happen to them can be the best thing for them if they can learn to invite God into the situation and view it from a different perspective. And I think in our culture, we've gotten really good about uh, uh, the narrative of negativity to be able to view ourselves as victim. Again, I, I, I feel like a, a victim. Uh, I try to treat people with ability. And so I remember when my kids, you know, the pandemic hit, of course, and things were shut down and, it was like my son told me years, if not yesterday, before. He says, my favorite part of childhood was during the lockdowns. And, like, what an amazing, different perspective. Mm-hmm. Why was that, I asked. And he says, well, because we, like, played pickleball twice a day. We went on three different walks. You were home and working from home. And we were, you know, all these wonderful family, you know, experiences. And and yes, there was an economy hit. We were under attack, obviously. There's uh, people really struggling health-wise, and there's a lot of fear. Um, but that's not the way we view it. This light affliction is just for a moment, but it's working in us a far and exceeding eternal weight of glory. And count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So I, I, kids will catastrophize naturally when change happens unless they are effectively discipled or trained by parents to uh, leverage adversity for their own growth. Mm -hmm. And that's the heart of resilience. A resilient mindset says, bring it. The worst thing can be the best thing. 
And so at the end of the day, it really becomes what you make of the circumstances. I mean, we so often want the circumstances to change, to be softer, to be milder. And, you know, that oftentimes is just a pipe dream. I mean, that's like wishing that the IRS would stop asking for, you know, a 1040 and a check every uh, every April 15th. It's just not going to happen. So what do you do? Well, maybe you learn how to better manage your money. Maybe you learn how to, in the case of this dialogue, teach your kids how to be stronger, how to be more resilient and how to put things and events in life into proper perspective and to understand that it ultimately is how you view and what you make of your circumstances. And, you know, we would all wish that we could wave a magic wand tomorrow and make this a happier, kindler, gentler world. And hopefully everybody listening to this program is doing their very best to try and do that to the degree that you're able to to, um, create that kind of impact. But in the meanwhile, uh, being reactive, Reality-based that there's much that we don't have control over, but we do have control over our thoughts, our actions, our responses. Now, how do you capture that control? We're going to talk about that next. Best-selling author, Dr. Brooks Gibbs with us today. We are talking about how to raise resilient kids. And boy, this is important whether you're a parent or a grandparent. So stay tuned. And if you've got a friend that's struggling with this issue of parenting and the child just seems to be kind of going crazy and you're not sure what to do or what's wrong, invite him to tune in to KFAX right now. There's going to be a lot of really good, a plethora, as they say, of really good information. So our conversation with Brooks Gibbs continues here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back to our conversation. Brooks Gibbs is with us today, best-selling author. And, of course, as I mentioned, he has spent uh, many, many years now literally traveling the nation, speaking to more than 2 million students at about 1,500 schools across North America, really honing in on what it means to be resilient. And, you know, Brooks, as I was suggesting before the break, it's it's probably wonderfully uh, encouraging, uh, certainly in the in the in the category of being quite uh, quaint, if not altruistic, that we'd like to see people all be kinder and gentler, and uh, can't we all just get along? And and I and I know that certainly should be our desire, and we should certainly try to live that way as we interact with others. But the reality is, there's a lot of hurting people around us, and hurting people hurt people, and so. Then teaching our kids how to respond to all of this, to give them the appropriate tools that they need in order to be resilient is critically important. And yet, sadly, I think that a lot of times the kids watch the way their parents react to circumstances and they see them react in anger or get disappointed, get mad, what have you. And so they just copy what they see. Yeah, it's true. I I, I wrote a new book called Squabbles Elements. And it breaks down all the psychological elements at work when people are in conflict. And one of my favorite things to do is to teach, especially students, uh, why people are mean and how to stop them from being mean. And you mentioned something. You said hurting people hurt people. And according to the elements, that is absolutely true. That is one of four motivations of aggression. People might be hurting. They actually feel victimized by you. And so the response that's appropriate for that type of element is apologize. Are you mad at me? I'm sorry about that. But then there's three other elements. Sometimes people are mean to you because they're joking. 
you're the butt of the joke and you don't really know how to take or make a joke about yourself. You're too sensitive. You're not emotionally resilient. And so you have to learn how to laugh even at yourself. Another motivation of aggression is someone's criticizing you. They're pointing out a flaw to help you improve, and you don't like that. You don't like criticism. And uh, if you could learn to be resilient for that type of aggression, then you wouldn't be in a squabble. But the fourth and final is today what we call bullying, but this is uh, the power or the dominance or the bothering. I'm trying to bother you. And if I bother you, you know, I win and you lose. But people who have to face a botherers or provocateurs, they need to learn how to be unfazed. That's the response to the provocateur form of aggression. It's really cool. Like once you know why people are mean, you'll know how to respond to them. I had an experience when I was in elementary school. I'm going to tell a tale on myself here. Uh, there was a classmate of mine that uh, when the kids would gather together for, for lunch, um, you know, we would open up our respective lunch boxes or pails or bags or whatever and start to have lunch. And uh, one day I happened to, I've always been a big fan of tomatoes and uh, uh, my folks, my dad used to grow uh, fresh vegetables in the garden. So zucchini and tomatoes and the whole bit. So one day as I'm opening up lunch, I start to eat some sliced tomatoes. And John, who shall remain anonymous beyond his first name, uh, decided he was going to pick on me about eating tomatoes for lunch. And I became tomato man for a short period of time, which just crushed my little seven or eight year old soul to bits. And this went on for quite some time. And of course, you know, he'd make fun of me. The kids would laugh. Then I'd feel embarrassed. Then I'd go and take off. And and finally, I forget what the circumstances were that, that it settled down. But, but at one point, sometime much, much subsequent to those very embarrassing, hurtful experiences, I confronted him. And I suppose I must have caught him in a moment of of weakness. I'd become friends with his brother, so maybe he just took a little pity on me to to have a conversation. And I found out that the reason why he was giving me such a hard time had nothing to do with my choices for food for lunch. It was that here was a young man whose parents didn't really give he or his brother the time of day, that frequently they would come home after school at night to find no meal had been been prepared whatsoever, and they might be lucky that somebody in the household would dash off to McDonald's and bring back some hamburgers, and that every day he was forced to have a school lunch. And yet I was packing a lunch that included things like, yes, fresh tomatoes, but steak and other goodies. And so... It was anger not really directed toward me. I just became kind of the convenient target. The anger was really toward his parents because he saw me as somebody that was being cared for and being spoiled and having wonderful luncheons every day. He was deprived of that. That hurt him. And so I was the convenient target. Mm, Yeah. And, you know, as a social psychologist here, I listen to something like that and I see all four elements at work. I see... Uh, number one, he feels hurt, hurt that he doesn't get what you have. That feels like uh, unfair advantage. Uh, a criticism pointed it out that you maybe shouldn't have tomatoes. And then you see uh, uh, humor. You know, he's getting the laughs with everybody else, and that gives him some sort of gratification. And then finally, dominance. Every time he says it, you get this. 
And uh, I love I love breaking it down like that. And I I remember when I came up with these elements, um, uh, largely influenced by one of my mentors, Izzy Kalman. He's a school psychologist for forty plus years, and and I ran it by my professors. I ran it by every smart, wise person I could think of. And I say, are there any other elements at work? Are there any other motivations? And no one was able to improve those four motivations. So uh, that's really encouraging to me. Uh, and so when you have the combination of four elements at work, you help a kid one at a time be unfazed when they're trying to bother, laugh, haha, that's a good one, you should be a comedian when they're trying to joke, uh, you know, thank them if they're criticizing you, you know, and, they, um, and then apologize. I'm sorry you don't have fresh tomatoes at home. We don't know what people are thinking or what motivates them, but there are key questions we can ask. Like when you confronted him face to face, you can learn more about the context to inform you to ultimately resolve the conflict. And that's a peacemaker role, which God calls us to do. And ironically, when it was all said and done, I, I actually felt sorry for him because now I realize that I had it better off than he did and that I was not necessarily uh, the the target of his ire because there was something wrong with me, which I believe a lot of kids absent proper and appropriate context might come to that conclusion. Instead, I found out, well, maybe there's something really wrong in his own household and how fortunate that I am that I have parents that take the time to provide me a fresh made custom lunch every single day. Mm. Yeah, and that's true. And I find parents sometimes just uh, kind of rattle off what they think the motivations of mean kids are. Like, uh, hey, hurting people hurt people, so they're just hurting. Or they're just jealous of you. That's why they're being mean. And this is not necessarily true. Uh, they might be hurting. You know, uh, you may not have done anything. Someone else may have done that to them. But what if they're just a comedian? And you're really an easy target. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, coming up with a with a funny name that gets laughs for some stupid reason, that's the payoff. And they're not actually viewing themselves as an aggressor. They actually view themselves as a comedian. And believe it or not, man, you know me. I'm in a new city every week touring schools from K through 12. And I have met so many kids who've been labeled bullies, but they're simply comedians who really... They don't know their audience. And so I have to tell them, dude, number one goal of a comedian is to make its audience what? And the kid says, laugh. And I say, yeah, but your audience is crying. So you fail as a comedian. You need to save your jokes for people who can handle it. Uh, there's just It's an opportunity for education uh, for both the one that is uh, we call the aggressor, but also the little Craig version of you where we say, hey, man, you know, it's not him calling you tomato man that's bothering you but it's actually your thoughts that he has no right to call you that so there's something you can do give up the grip of your demands that he must not ought not should not call you tomato man and embrace it run run for school president on that slogan vote tomato man spin it to win it <laughs> <laughs> I, you know I might think about that there could be a whole new career here because for the last 40 years it's largely been radio man so now tomato man might be the you know I'll go out and start a little uh, organic farm here on the side Brooks Gibbs is with us tonight we are talking about how to grow not tomatoes I'll we'll say that for another show but grow resilient kids and one of the things that I want to zero in on when we come back as our conversation continues is to talk a bit about how to help better prepare 
our kids to deal with the unexpected. It was certainly COVID. Boy, was that unexpected. But other things that may come along in their childhood that you may not be there in the moment, but give them the kind of coping skills necessary to be able to kind of think through these things on their own. Because let's face it, mom and dad can't always be there. And then another topic we'll also pivot to, and that is how mom and dad can become better connected. So as Brooke expressed, when the kids went through all that lockdown time during COVID, it wasn't seen as a prison sentence, but rather something that they celebrate because they had a chance to have a level of connection in the family that maybe in the hustle and bustle of every day is normally not there that deep. It's pretty good stuff. We'll get back to more of our conversation. Brooks Gibbs available by going to brooksgibbs.com for more information, information about his latest books, all kinds of great resources too. Brooks with an S, brooksgibbs.com. We take a time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our conversation with Brooks Gibbs continues. Information online at Brooks with an S, brooksgibbs.com. We're talking about how to raise more resilient children. Uh, we've all read the stories about what's happening in terms of harassment and bullying. And it's you know not only common uh, on the school playground, but it's even common in the workplace. And while it's one thing to get all upset, march down to the principal's office and pound your fist on the desk and say, hey, you, you've got to stop this. You need to intervene. You cannot allow my child to be treated this way. Well, that's that's all well and good and fine and protective. But what do you do when it gets beyond your control? What do you do when that child goes from being the object of bullying as a school child to now as an individual who is at work or at college? It's not unusual for people that are the recipients of that to bottle it up inside and slowly get more and more angry, and then one day, um, you know, like uh, like the uh, the bottle that uh, gets shaken up, and it becomes a, a pressure keg. In some way, somehow, that got to, that that pressure has got to be released, and sometimes that release comes out in the form of some very um, ugly behavior, and we see evidence of it all around us all the time. So, if you can't always control the bullier, how do you better prepare your kids for dealing with these kinds of events that are going to happen throughout life? And, you know, Brooks, I think about the fact that in the example of the kid who's upset at school because the class clown has uh, made them the object of their attention and uh, mom runs down to the principal's office and screams and yells, fix this or we're going to sue. Uh, but, you know, mom is not always going to be around to do that. And so how do we teach our kids to better cope with those kinds of things that will inevitably happen? in life that will surprise them and how do we give them the kind of coping skills that are going to be necessary to put all this in perspective and to be able to deal with these circumstances while maintaining a healthy emotional mental and spiritual sense of well-being Mm -hmm. yeah we need to build in our children what i call resilience margin and you do that with uh, two primary factors Uh, The first is you teach your kids how to lower their expectations or lower their demands of how people must treat them or how they must perform or how life must turn out. Those are sort of the three categories, uh, self-life and others. So when we lower the the, um, 
the, the, the expectations of what must happen. And the second factor is when we raise our frustration tolerance, meaning uh, we're, we're going to have the grit needed to endure the provocation. And that only happens through exposure. So uh, I, that's why I create so many games uh, I teach parents how to play games with their kids to increase their frustration tolerance. For example, uh, before you give your kid dessert, you have brother come over and for 30 seconds choose something noisy in sister's ear while she keeps a smile on it. And if she can keep a smile for 30 seconds while the noise is grossing her out, <laughs> you're exposing her to provocations which raises her frustration tolerance. So really, we want to have resilience margin uh, and then the, the second, the second thing is really to to rethink what happens to you. You know that it could be worse. It won't really matter in my future, and this could actually turn out for my good. We have to give our kids a pattern to process what happened to them in a way that avoids catastrophizing as if it's the worst thing ever. Yeah, and those skills are not only important for kids, but let's face it, once you've instilled that that skill in a child, as they become an adult, you're going to need to take that along with you because, let's face it, someday the one that's going to be doling out the sense of harassment is going to be the boss, and uh, your reaction might be the difference between staying employed or being on the unemployment line. Right, and in fact, this is a good example you bring up is when parents have a, a perceived enemy in their life, that should be dinner conversation. Not to gossip about the guy, but to be able to talk about the skills you're trying to learn. You know, when Jesus said, love your enemies, uh, I believe he also meant love that they are there. You know, why? Mm. Well, first of all, I teach my kids, haters is how heaven hooks you up. It says, be exceedingly glad when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, for great is your reward in heaven. And, you know, also, like a boxer needs a good sparring partner in the ring to get better, we need jerks in our life to grow an emotional resilience and to be a bright light against the backdrop of darkness. And so to demonstrate by way of modeling or by way of example to your children how to deal with difficult people, including in-laws or, you know, neighbors or something like that, they're, they're getting that education exhibit A straight from you, parent. Yeah, because, you know, when I think about it, and I can say this as a slightly older American, um, you're going to have that person that's the proverbial rock in your shoe. Uh, they're going to be everywhere. And, uh, you know, sometimes they're not only unavoidable, but sometimes interaction with them is quite necessary, especially if it's the irritating person at the DMV. And as much as you like to cuss them out, you have to think, well, if you want that driver's license, <laughs> you'd better learn how to deal with it. You better learn how to turn the situation around. And so I think those kind of coping skills are, are critically important because, let's face it, we're going to have experiences Brooks of being not only feeling like we're on the receiving end of harassment or bullying that that just you know attends to moments in life, but there's going to be also circumstances in this broader sense of moments of disappointment. And the question is, as I suggested earlier, is are we going to are we going to be able to respond to that disappointment in such a fashion that it actually helps us? Or are we going to go just literally off the deep end and enter into that moment of anger? Because as much as we've talked about um, being on the receiving side 
of bullying, my goodness, how many people that with that sense of anger and frustration and entitlement will lash out in anger at other people. And we see it all the time. The friendly next door neighbor who just, you know, she loves cats. She's got a beautiful garden. She doesn't seem to bother anybody. And one day somebody, you know, parks and they're they're overhanging the back end of the fender of the car into her driveway and she goes off. So what's happened there? And how do we prevent ourselves from uh, not only how do we not only how do we deal with bullies in our lives, but how do we prevent ourselves from becoming one as well? Mm. Mm. Well, there's uh, probably my my favorite definition of mental health, and I, it sounds self-serving, but I, I made it up, actually. It's in my book, Squabble's Elements. I said, you know, mental health, as I define it, is the ability to adjust well to a harsh reality. Mm. And that could be an adversary or an adversity. It could be a people problem or circumstantial. And uh, really, whatever your initial reaction is, is, is typically a, a, a correct reaction. It's called our primary emotion. So we're shocked, we're surprised, we're you know, d- disappointed. And, and, and I, I don't teach kids to ignore those negative feelings. I say, well, no, hold on to those and you know, let that inform you that you're not getting what you want or you're getting what you don't want. So you see there's a mismatch between desire and reality. But as soon as humanly possible, you need to be able to leverage it for your own psychological growth. You need to adjust well to that harsh reality. Now, mental illness, I guess, could be defined the inability to adjust well to a harsh reality. And I use that not in the clinical DSM-5 mental illness, you know, uh, diagnosis context, but just in your general, what, what is the opposite of mental health? Well, it's, it's in the 50s, they call it maladjustment, the inability to adjust well. And so to avoid freaking out, of when surprises and disappointments happen. We need to, yes, feel the unwanted negative emotion that initially gets triggered, but as soon as humanly possible, psychological possible, talk ourselves off the ledge of our catastrophizing. And and I do this very methodically through a negative, neutral, positive, um, uh, what I call a cognitive exercise. And I've trained my kids and t- kids I teach all over the world I say, look, how could this have been worse? That needs to be one of the first thoughts in your mind. Okay, this happened. How could this have been worse? And then once you can answer that authentically, then you ask, why won't this matter in my future? You know, keep the brevity of it in mind. Keep it in its proper size. And then the, the, the positive is, how could this turn out for my good? This could actually turn out to be a good thing. And it takes a, probably a hundred times of unwanted events happening to your life and you discipline in your mind negative, neutral problems. Hey, it could be worse. This doesn't really matter in the future. Hey, look at the bright side. That's such a critical coping mechanism to become better, well-adjusted. And certainly for the Christian, and we can get into this after the break, for the Christian, too, that, that sense of sometimes when these circumstances come along, um, God is monitoring our reaction. And how we react can also be not only a measuring 
the yardstick, a measuring stick of, of just how well adjusted we are from an emotional standpoint, but also uh, how mature we are in terms of our ability to trust him and surrender. Let's talk about that when we come back. Visiting today with best-selling author Brooks Gibbs. Brooks, as I mentioned, as a, an educator, has taught more than 2 million students across the United States in about 1,500 schools in the U.S. and Canada. And uh, we're always privileged to spend some time with him. We're talking about some of his latest material. And the new book, of course, available at brooksgibbs.com. Brooks with an S, brooksgibbs.com. A brief time out. Back with more. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, time flies when we're having fun and learning a lot, and hopefully we're doing both here today. I certainly am in our conversation with best-selling author and educator Brooks Gibbs. Information again on the web at Brooks with an S, brooksgibbs.com. That's brooksgibbs.com. We're talking about how to grow more resilient children, how to train children to deal with the unexpected. And I guess the broader issue, too, particularly, Brooks, is so many of these issues that not only help kids get through childhood, but then we carry many of these tools and skills with us into adult life and that is things are going to happen that are going to be outside of your control and how you react to it may even at some circumstances be the difference between life and death i i will tell you that when i went through my cancer diagnosis uh, seven years ago eight years ago uh, i just lost both parents in the same year my mother had succumbed after a 13 and a half year battle with ovarian cancer so the two big team leaders in my life were gone all I had to rely upon was my faith and my God. And I remember thinking, going through the moments of the testing and the exams and the MRIs and all of that stuff. Anybody that's been through cancer knows what it's like and then ultimately surgery. I just kept thinking about the way my mother reacted to these things. And she had kind of the identical take that you were mentioning before the break. And that is, well, it could be worse. And always tried to find the funny story in whatever it is that might be happening to you, even if it's a matter of completely losing your dignity, uh, but nevertheless keeping a sense of humor about it. And I think so much of that, too, goes a long way in being demonstrative of the degree in which we can say, look, God, this is a tough thing for me. But I'm going to lean on you, rely on you, put my faith and trust on you that you're going to give me what I need to get through all of this. And no matter what happens, good or bad, I know that I am secure in my relationship with you. And I wonder just as we go along in life, how important is that kind of attitude and that sense of faith and trust in teaching our kids to become ultimately resilient adults? Mm, that is so good. I, it's a precious picture you painted with your mom and her great sense of humor you know my grandmother was the same way i remember visiting her after a stroke she was uh, in one of these uh, residential treat treatment kind of like uh, old folks home as we call them and, and i said how are they treating you here uh grandma and she says well you know they they give me lemons and i keep making lemonade <laughs> and i remember thinking that is so that is so beautiful and and all of us can be this way by the way we all Scripture makes it very clear that this is strength, be strong and courageous. That's for everybody. Uh, Proverbs 24, verse 10, it says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Jeremiah 12, verse 5, it says, If you have raced with men on foot and they've worn you out, how do you expect to compete with horses? Mm. You know, Jesus said, In this life, you will have trouble. I think of, uh, I remember reading to my grandmother there, uh, 
the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, it says, remember your creator from the days of your youth before the difficult days come and you say you have no pleasure in them. And so now is the time to start building our emotional resilience because things are only gonna be more difficult, including the end times. As in the days of Noah, so will be the days where the Son of Man will return. You know, so are, are we ready for persecution, for hardship, for, for, for pain and suffering that is an absolute promise? Well, I, I hope so. I've certainly disciplined my mind. I've seen you discipline your mind. And we are going to be better for it. Yeah. And, you know, they say that the, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. As our time winds down, for parents that have been eavesdropping on the program today and thinking about their own interaction with their kids and, and maybe ways in which they can be setting a better example for their children, what's the best way to get started? Well, I think the, the best way to get started is um, just to just to spend some time sharing some stories of how you have overcome challenges in your life. And now, now looking back, some of the worst thing that's ever happened to you turned out to be the best thing for you. And, and really making the mantra of, of your whole family. You know, he, you know, God will work all things for our good. They'll work it together for our good. Now, of course, I have online training programs. Raise Them Strong is a program I've created. And I have a new book out called Squabbles Elements that really helps people become experts at being peacemakers and navigating aggression. All that can be found at my website, brooksgibbs.com. But your life is the best testimony for your children and, and letting them know that, look, we're blessed what I thought was a curse actually turned out to be a blessing, and that's how I have to look at it, if it's true. And as you suggested when you talked about your kids' reaction to the lockdown experience during COVID, it's so important that kids stay close to their kids and be in communication with their kids and be mentoring their kids. You, you can't, what was the old uh, set it and forget it thing that uh, Ron Popeil, you know, with one of his rotisserie chicken devices or something, you say, set it and forget it. You can't do that when it comes to raising kids. You need to be plugged in. And I think the, the thing, the, the equal is true when it comes to your own relationship with God. You can't just put this thing on autopilot and say, well, I read the Bible once, good enough for me. Uh, you've got to stay plugged in. You need to be exercising your faith muscle. And as you do so, you know, that old no notion of precept upon precept and, and building and growing and, and creating kind of that, that backlog, so to speak, of experiences where when the tough times come, you always know that God will pull you through because he's done it before. And you always keep in perspective that it could be worse and you allow your faith to, to well up inside of you and really trust in the Holy Spirit to give you the kind of guidance necessary to get through the difficult times or to laugh off the bully. And, uh, you know, I'll end with a story you mentioned about your grandmother. I'll never forget mine and her last hospital stay. Um, poor thing was was not happy there at all. And one day I came in and I said, so, Ma, how's the food been? She's, you know, the food here, it's not so good. But I've asked them several times if they let me get into the kitchen, and they just won't let me do it. So, you know, she she kept that positive. Well, if the food's not bad, let me get downstairs, and I'll teach them how to cook a good bowl of ravioli. Hey, Brother Brooks, always a delight. Give my love to your better half, and uh, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Greg. 
guide my Stay well, brother. There's Brooks Gibbs, best-selling author. All these resources that we've talked about today, including his latest book, Swabbles, check it out online at Brooks with an S, brooksgibbs.com. That's brooksgibbs.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.